thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. One thing I don't like about Christmas is when uh, all the decorations come out and you can't find what you're supposed to have. I normally have a music stand and I didn't check before the service, but there's no music stand. So I don't know if anyone... Where's Joel? Could you run upstairs? I think there might be one upstairs in the upstairs room. Sorry, son, but that's the, that's the privilege for being my son. I don't want that. All right. It's probably quicker to run upstairs. Sorry, everybody. Also, I didn't realise I had that on my keyboard. It's not product placement. Other colas are available. Okay. Just got a, a bit of a croaky voice this morning. Welcome. And as I say, uh, I was told it was um, Abelina's birthday. Is it today? So we'll sing that later on when they come downstairs. Okay. It, was, it didn't feel appropriate after Paul had been so spiritual to suddenly launch into happy birthday. So uh, welcome to you all this morning. It's that time of year where people start visiting or people go to visit and it's great to have you with us and hopefully you'll hear me above the fans and I don't mean like I've got people screaming outside, I mean like the fans on the wall. Okay, so um, yeah, I'm just going to use my phone this morning, I think, because it's going to be easier to hold. We'll see how we go. So this morning, we're, we're going to look at glory to the newborn king. We're doing this series of Christmas through carols. And um, this morning, the carol we're looking at is Hark the Herald Angels Sing, which the verses for that carol are effectively what we read last week. So what I'm doing is I'm giving you sort of spoilers for weeks ahead, obviously. So I'm not going to read the passage from last week, but I will refer to it. But if you ever have Googled the news for thefts from nativity scenes... There are loads, okay? It's quite a sad thing, but I just thought, you know, I've heard of it in the news before where people have taken something out of a town centre nativity scene and uh, I thought it was like odd cases, but actually even this week alone, I counted at least five where something had happened and one of them um, just made me smile and it made me smile for, for a couple of reasons. I'm going to read you some bits from the news article. Bring back baby Jesus, family's plea. So the family put this display out each year, a little bit like that one in Dalton. If you ever go to Dalton and see the lights on, uh, is it Tantabank? Um, there's a family appealing for help after a large model of the baby Jesus was stolen from a much-loved local nativity scene in Solihull. Debbie and her family go out all year making the scene display outside her home, and the scene is loved by locals to raise funds. But Debbie is now appealing for whoever kidnapped Jesus to do the right thing and return him preferably before the 25th of December. It's not the first time this has happened, but he's normally returned unharmed. I thought that was quite funny, but anyway. We assume it was stolen at the beginning of December, and we're sure it's just children messing around. He's gone missing before, and he's been returned. He's made of solid plastic, so he's very robust. <laughs> it's good to know that Jesus is very robust, is all I can think. Um, we're not sure if we could afford to replace him. There's lots of messages we could get out of this story, isn't there? Not sure we could afford to replace him. So we are holding out hope that he'll be seen and returned to us before Christmas Day. The display is a tradition. 
and the family have been displaying Christmas lights for many years. So Debbie is asking people to keep their eyes peeled for Jesus, who due to his size and general sturdiness, couldn't have got far. <laughs> so this is the baby Jesus due to his size and sturdiness. Thank you, son. Good to have a roadie. Thanks, mate. <laughs> So Jesus, due to his size and general sturdiness, can't have gone far. So I think this is good. And then the last bit that's quite sad says, I would love for people to check their front and back gardens to check he hasn't been thrown into a hedge or the bin. A witness has said he saw a group of young males kicking something square and plastic down the road on Sunday the 5th of December. At the time, he thought it was just a bin, but now it might have been baby Jesus, which makes him feel quite sad. So this is the upset at losing a piece of plastic, really. But baby Jesus was taken from this nativity. And last week we read in Luke's gospel that the shepherds were greeted by this choir of angels. And we often sing, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Yeah? We sing that every Christmas. We're actually going to sing it later on. Sorry, Paul. Spoiler there. But it would often have said, the original words to it said this. Hark the herald, sorry, hark how all the welkin rings was the first line originally. It was written by Charles Wesley, the lesser famous brother of John Wesley. But if you read the carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, it's nearly always credited to Felix Mendelssohn. So the composer Felix Mendelssohn, he wrote the tune. It was only accepted in an early hymn book because they needed another, another song to fill the booklet. They needed something to pad it out. They needed an extra song for the printer to print it. It wasn't actually deemed good enough. And it was tweaked by several different people before we got the version we get today. It was changed over time to become Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And in fact, one of the men who was really responsible for it was a man named Cummings. But he never, ever gets any credit for it. So he did something, doesn't get the credit for it, that became a massive Christmas banger, I think is the words that you use in the, in the modern terminology. He doesn't get the renown, he doesn't get the fame or the glory. Do you know why? Because it's all about glorifying God. It's not about glory for us. It's not about us getting the credit and the thanks. It's not about us saying, well done, well done. It's about God and who he is. It's about Jesus. But people keep trying to steal the baby Jesus. People might throw him in a hedge. People might kick him down the street. But this Christmas, our message as a church has got to be that Jesus has got to be central. It's no good having a scene where Mary and Joseph are gazing down at an empty manger. And maybe some of us in our lives this Christmas, that's what we're doing. We're just looking at an empty place. We need to have Jesus. He is not just the filler of Christmas. He is not just the add-on. He is good enough. He isn't just somebody to tag on the end. He needs to be right at the heart and the center, the one that's given glory to, and he is the one that can make the difference to the ordinary and transform the weird into the wonderful. Hark how the welking, apparently it's to do with the heavens. Hark how the welking rings, apparently. Nothing to do with Middle Earth. So today we look at what was important about glory and the significance of Jesus being a king. So the significance of glory and the significance of Jesus being a king. So the first question is, what is glory? If I said to you, what is glory, what would your answer be? 
What would you think? What's the first thing that comes into your head? What is glory? Leviticus chapter 9, verses 5 to 7 say this. They took the things that Moses commanded to the front of the tent of meeting, and the entire assembly came near and stood before the Lord. Then Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded you to do, so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. I'll read that bit again. This is what the Lord has commanded you to do, so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Moses said to Aaron, come to the altar and sacrifice your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself. And the people sacrifice the offering that is for the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. So do this as God has commanded and you'll see his glory. That's the simple part of that early part of the Bible. Do what God commands and you'll see his glory. The end of that chapter, verses 23 and 24, say this. Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. So when I ask you what is glory, I don't know what your answer was. But when I look at that early part of the Old Testament, glory requires sacrifice and obedience, but it leads and brings glory and joy. Sacrifice and obedience brings joy. That was the response to God's glory. Joy, joy, and falling worship before. You know, Christmas is often a time for excess, isn't it? Yeah? Yeah? It can be excess spending, excess food, excess drink, excess time with family that you perhaps would rather spend playing on your PlayStation. I don't know. Excess. What food are you most looking forward to? We've gone back to that time with masks. It's really difficult to read your faces. What Pigs in blankets. Yeah? Okay. Hands up if you're really looking forward to a pig in blanket. Okay? Yeah? Okay. Not, not as many as I thought, actually. Okay, not as many as I thought. What about, have anyone had one of those Yorkshire pudding wraps? Yeah? Have you seen these where they make a Yorkshire pudding, fill it with the turkey, the gravy, the peas, the roast potato, the pigs in blanket, the stuffing, the cranberry sauce, wrap it all up like a, like a tortilla wrap or a fajita wrap, that's the one, isn't it? And it's just a Christmas dinner in your hand until the gravy seeps through and runs down your arm. Anyone ever had one of those? No. I've had one at the Christmas markets a few years ago. The people who have had them are a little bit sheepish. Naomi, you've had one, haven't you? Come on, be proud. You've had one. Adam Coleman, you've had one. Fantastic. But often on Christmas Day, there's more courses than you could ever need. Would you agree? I live in a, I live in a family, I married into a family where it's insistent that you have every vegetable available. You know, not just two, you know, meat and two veg, it's like meat and 20 veg. And we eat the veg for the next four days with our meals or have it in soup or whatever. Breakfast, peas, oh nice. We have more than enough vegetables and often there's leftovers for days. And then we get towards Easter. And what, what's significant about Easter? Well, Easter, we give things up for Lent, don't we? We give things up maybe because we're looking forward to that time where Jesus gave up everything for us. But for Israel and for Moses, as we read these verses in Leviticus, sacrifice and obedience 
was at the heart of seeing God's glory. Sacrifice, giving stuff up, and obedience was at the heart of seeing God's glory. So maybe we've got Christmas all wrong. Maybe we've got it totally wrong. If Christmas for you is all about spend, 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 we've got it all wrong. It's nice to give gifts. It's nice to, to do that. But we know from the internet, and we probably know personally, some of the gifts we give, given, some of the gifts we give end up in landfill. Yeah? Be honest. Has anybody ever put an opened gift in the bin or the recycling? Oh, just me. Um, either that or you're all liars, okay? Or re-gifted. Recycling is re-gifted. Hand up if you've ever... Oh, now we're seeing it, okay? Just keep your hands high. Have a good look around, everybody. Give these people presents. You might be getting it back next year, okay? Or you might see it in a charity shop near you. We had... Um, Ros's aunties, two aunties, uh, one of them used to play a bit of a game, unbeknownst to the other one. And uh, she would get a present off one of the, the other auntie, and even the wrapping paper she would keep, and she would give it her back the next year. That's right, isn't it? She would not only give her the gift back, she would give her the wrapping paper back. And this same auntie would do things like give books and say, well, can I have it back when you finish with it, because I want to read it. And uh, that was her idea of Christmas. It wasn't extravagant. Once she gave me and Roz a coat between us. It had belonged to Ruth Randall, who many of you know is a lot smaller than me. And we weren't sure whether we were supposed to take it in turns to wear the coat, one of us on a Monday, one on a Tuesday, and etc., or whether we were supposed to just put one arm in each side. But we also know she originally bought that coat from Peter and Ruth Randall at an event where we were raising funds for either Blessed Hill or Durban, the trip to Durban. And she said when she bought it, my friend in Israel will love this coat. And then we got it for Christmas. So either she couldn't be bothered paying the postage, or she just thought, what can I give Johnny and Roz? I know, lucky dip in the cupboard. She often gave us little bits of broken pottery, didn't she? But you know what? We loved getting presents off Auntie Maris because it was hilarious. It brought joy. You know, you know, Joel got a book about music for five-year-olds when he was 18. <laughs> and a pouch of cat food. We didn't have a cat. We then discovered later on that she dropped the pouch of cat food in by accident and she wanted it back for her cat. So even that wasn't something he could keep. But do you know what? Those gifts that she gave weren't extravagant, but do you know, they were given with love. They were given with love. They were bonkers. And often when the children were younger, you know, I can remember Joel getting something that was totally inappropriate, but we trained him well and he ran and threw his arms around her and went, oh, it's just what I've always wanted. <laughs> because the gift was given with love, not extravagance. Christmas shouldn't be about excess. Sacrifice and obedience shows us God's glory. And what does God's glory do? It brings joy. So maybe one of the reasons people are celebrating a bit of emptiness and loneliness at Christmas is because they're not seeing God's glory. The baby Jesus has been stolen out of the display. Maybe the baby Jesus has been kicked down the street and thrown in a bin. Maybe that's our heart attitude. But God's glory brings great joy. Well, glory in the dictionary means high renown or beauty and magnificence. Beauty and magnificence. You know, you've all seen, I'm sure, either pictures or visited places that have been of great beauty and magnificence. 
I've talked before about Niagara Falls. I could have stood at the side and the top edge of Niagara Falls just watching water forever. It was calming, it was beautiful, but it was a thing of magnificence. But it was just water. But it was incredible. Maybe you know yourself something that has brought beauty and magnificence into your life. Well, glory means beauty and magnificence. It means high renown. In the Bible, it was used to describe the experience of the presence of God in a very tangible way. Glory was the presence of God in a very tangible way. So the angels sang glory to the newborn king because in this tiny baby, people could experience the tangible presence of God. This was God in human form. This was God who could be held. This was God who could behold. And this was God who had beauty and magnificence. But it did involve sacrifice. Earth experienced a tiny, tiny bit of that glory in a baby. It experienced a tiny bit of that glory. But that glory involves sacrifice. What's one of the lines from the song? Mild he lays his glory by. Jesus had everything. He was the son of God. He was at the beginning of creation. He's at the end of it all. And yet he laid aside his glory. He put it down and came to earth so that we could understand a bit more of God, so that we could have our sins paid for, so that we could be forgiven and so that we could be free. That's what it's all about. He gave up his glory, sacrifice and obedience and he was glorified. He didn't take it on himself. He gave up his magnificence and his kingliness. He, I don't even know if kingliness is a word, but hey. He gave up those things and he became like us. You've heard of the phrase glory hunters. Yeah? Yeah? Okay? Like all those city fans that are supporting them now, Jeff. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. No, no. Um, well, glory hunters are people who often jump on a bandwagon particularly with a sporting team because of the success and achievement. So you still support Manchester United, Mike. So you're not a glory hunter, are you? That's fine. We've got a foster lad who came to us supporting Man United. I've taken him to Anfield once. He's smitten and he's got the shirt and everything. I, I, am, I feel I've won part of the mission there, okay? But he would be called a glory hunter because he's jumping on, well, maybe not, well, we'll wait till the end of the season. But... He'd be called a glory hunter because he's choosing to jump on the success of somebody else. He's a glory hunter. He wants the glory of being a part of a team, you know, because of the success. People often say about us when they're talking about football, don't they? Ros goes mad about this. You know, we won tonight. Oh, yeah, what part did you play in that? You know, we've just scored a goal. Did you really? You were sat on the settee eating, eating chips. You know? We won our result. We didn't actually do anything. We just watched. That's a glory hunter who doesn't do anything, just watches and goes, yeah, glory supporter. My brother Phil is an Everton fan. He laid his glory down in the 80s. <laughs> For the next 30 years, he's definitely not a glory supporter because he's still plugging away. I always text him after a Liverpool-Everton game and just say, are you okay? And he just says, get lost is usually the response. Only sing when you're winning. That's a glory hunter. You only sing when you're winning. Do you know this morning, as Christians, we can sing all the time because Jesus has won. 
His glory shone around. That's what the angels tell Their glory shone around. Heart the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Last week we read that story of the angels singing that the baby was the very presence of God incarnate. The tangible presence of God. That's magnificence. That's beauty. That's glory. The angels singing God on earth in human form. John chapter 1 in verse 14 in the message puts it like this. The word, that's Jesus, became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes. The one of a kind glory, like father, like son. Generous, inside and out. True, from start to finish. That's glory. Generosity. Truth. From the beginning to the end. That's glory. True to yourself. True to the Father. True to the Word. The glory of the baby is seen. How is the glory of this baby seen? In sacrifice and humility. In what he gave up. That's how the glory is seen. In what he gave up. What he sacrificed. What he gave. That's glory. If you want to be a glory supporter today, it will involve giving stuff up. But it will be worth it. It will involve sacrifice. And I don't mean like the Druids. It will involve giving things up. It will involve laying things down. It might involve stepping onto a different path. But it will bring you joy. And it will show you glory. Do you want to see glory? Yeah? Most, you know, let's look at the football team again. Most teams, even Barrow, want to see glory. They want to see their team win. They want to see magnificence. They want to see beauty. If you want to see glory, then you need to put the baby Jesus back in the manger. You need to put him back at the center of the scene. And you need to realize when we sing these carols that glory is his beauty, his magnificence, and it comes from what he put down. It comes from what he laid aside and it brought great joy and still does, still does. That sacrifice and obedience brings joy and worship. You know, Sandra, I've not asked Sandra if I can share this and she'll probably kill me, but Sandra leads our house group or co-leads our house group on a Tuesday night and she just offered her house because she had a young daughter and she wanted to be part of a connect group. So she offered her house to host a house group. And yet, she's found herself leading not one, but three over the last couple of years. She's ended up doing more, and yet she shared on the Tuesday night how she loves it and it has brought her immense joy. Yes, it's also brought her immense challenge, and yes, it's also been hard, but she shared actually in giving things up and laying down her pride and saying, God, let me be used. Here I am. She has seen glimpses of God's glory and it has brought her some joy. <laughs> That's right, isn't it? Some joy. Great joy at times. She has been blessed in making the sacrifice, even in the struggles, even in the difficulties. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Mildly lays his glory by. The glory to the newborn king comes because of what he put down. Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to read some verses that will be appropriate for a couple of weeks' time. It says this. This is the story of after Jesus was born. 
Matthew 2 verses 1 to 16 says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, that's the religious people, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they said. Sorry, I've lost my place. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod the king called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time this star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. What a liar. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. What does glory bring? Joy, overjoyed. And what was their response? On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. It involved sacrifice to worship the king. It involved laying things at his feet. It involved giving things up. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to King Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So desperate was this king to get rid of Jesus, he wanted to kill him, a baby. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Don't blame God for Herod. Herod acted out of selfish ambition. Herod acted because he couldn't cope with the thought of having to lay something down. He couldn't cope with the fact that there might be somebody more important than him. He couldn't cope with the fact that he may not be top dog and he may not be the most important thing in his world. And you know, there are still Herods in this world. There are still people who want to get rid of the baby Jesus. There are people who steal him from nativity displays. But there are people who want to get rid of Jesus in the whole of their lives. To steal him away. Not just so that they don't get to know him and see him, but so that others won't get to know him and see him. But why? Why did Herod, the king, do this? Herod thought that Jesus was a threat to his power and position. Herod thought that this baby who was born to be king, glory to the newborn king, was going to mean that he had to step down, was going to mean that he would no longer be the ruler, that this baby was going to have an impact on his lifestyle and on his whole life. 
That was his concern, that Jesus, if he actually accepted him, was going to have an impact on his whole life. And he didn't want it. He didn't want that. So Herod got violent. We live in a world that's pretty violent, don't we? Would you agree? I remember when I was younger, certification on films. I think the Terminator film was an 18. It's now a 15. It's more acceptable. Jaws, I think, was an 18. Now it's a 12. Well, it is a bit of a rubbish shark, but hey. Because we've become more and more accustomed to violence, Herod got angry, and entertainment has become more and more gory, hasn't it? You know, I don't know some of the stuff that, that you watch and some of the stuff that I watch. Sometimes I do wonder why we watch some of the things we do. Sometimes I wonder why we read and, and listen to some of the things we do. You know, the minds of the people who create some of those films, if they actually acted them out, would be in prison for a very long time. And yet they put their fantasies on paper or on the screen and we accept them. And we say, this is okay. Herod was a violent man, and we live in a world where violence is glorified. And yet the carol we sing says, glory to the newborn king, glory to a baby, a one who came to give glory, to show glory, and to bring joy. And yet our world glorifies all the wrong things. Would you agree? Yeah? So there's got to be something wrong, hasn't there? We're giving glory to the wrong stuff. We're putting the wrong thing in the middle of the massivity. We're putting the wrong thing in the middle of life. We're putting the wrong thing on the throne. That was Herod's problem. He wanted to keep himself on the throne. He wanted to be in control. He wanted to be the one that made every decision and whether he wanted to lay it down or not. We read that account of Herod and it quite rightly makes us shudder, yeah? We don't like to read that story. But we can't blame God for Herod. We can't blame God for Herod. God did the thing he could do to enable us to have a way. Herod was trying his best to stamp it out. And there are still Herods in our lives today. Even as Christians, there are times where perhaps we just try and shift Jesus to the side. Even as people who've been of faith for many times, we try and put Jesus to one side. But the world we live in sees more and more violence happening without reason. It's tragic, isn't it? Not a day goes by when we can't turn the news on and see somebody who's died through some sort of act of violence. Why? It's got to be because it's being glorified. We need to glorify the king. Herods of this world want to steal the peace, the joy, and the love that Jesus brings. This baby was seen as dangerous to Herod's position and power. And maybe today you see Jesus as just wanting to steal your fun. Maybe today you see Jesus as somebody who might make you lay something down that you really want to keep tight hold of. But what does obedience and sacrifice bring? Glory and joy. What does obedience and sacrifice bring? Joy. I can tell you're really with me on this spring mount. What does obedience and sacrifice bring? Joy. Glory. Glory to who? Not to me, to him. The king. The one who should be at the center. The one who's been kicked down the street or put in a bin. The one who's been stolen and we're hoping he comes back. As Christians, we know he's going to come back. 
We know he's going to return. And maybe today you see Jesus as just wanting to stop your fun. But do you know, the Bible promises me he will never steal joy. He will always bring great joy. And he will be glorified. He came to give power away and to reign in hearts, not to keep the power all to himself. He gave the power for us to choose. He gave us the power to live our lives and the strength to keep going. And he didn't come to reign on an earthly kingdom, but in a heavenly place. He came in the power of love. You know, the Harry Potter series of books causes a lot of disturbance and division amongst people. But you know, one of the messages within those books is that love is more powerful than anything. That there is nothing more powerful than love. I'm sorry if you've not read them and want to read them or don't want to read them, But in the final book, that is the message, that there is nothing more powerful than love. Nothing. Nothing on this planet is more powerful. No magic, not anything can overcome the power of love. Jesus came to love the hell out of the world. Jesus came to love. And then he gave the same mission to his church and his people. And yet so often we even struggle with each other within the church. (laughs) So often we have little gripes or we have little issues and we struggle to love. Do you know, mild he laid his glory by. So we need to lay ours down. We need to stop being Herod on the throne and we need to give it to Jesus so that we can love, 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 love. Glory to the newborn king. Stop stealing his place. Stop stealing his throne. Stop trying to sit where he wants to sit. Stop trying to climb into the manger and grab the attention for yourself. And lay your glory by so that he is glorified. Because what does glory bring? Joy. What does obedience and sacrifice bring? Joy and glory. All of those things. There's a book called uh, Jesus Freaks, which is all about people who've died for their faith. And you might think that doesn't happen, but you know, nearly every year, more people die because they believe in Jesus than died in that tsunami all those years ago on Boxing Day. More people are killed because of their faith and trust in Jesus, yet we don't see Simon Cowell raising a record fund for that. But some of the stories that come out of that book of people who have died because of their belief are quite incredible. I want to read you one. In Kosovo, a young man called Ender and his brother Skender They obviously had rhyming names. Ender and Skender grew up in Kosovo. Skender learned early that in his troubled land, toughness was valued above all other qualities. Sounds like here, doesn't it? You've got to be tough. You've got to be hard. You've got to be strong. Toughness was valued above all other qualities. And Skender proved his toughness by making trouble whenever he could. He got what he wanted through threats and force. So when Skender learned that his younger brother Enver had started attending a Christian church, he gave him a good beating. And I know there are people in this church and in this room who have lived through some of this as young people. But as Skender was hitting his younger brother, Enver looked up and said to him, I love you, Skender, and God loves you. Skender wanted to know what kind of institution taught people to love those who beat them. So he decided to check out this church. The pastor gave him a New Testament, which Skender read in the hopes of finding some loopholes. But after reading it through three times, Skender Hottie, I think it might be Hottie, (laughs) 
He was a good-looking lad. Skender Hoti gave his life to Christ. All of Skender's friends abandoned him, and his father threw both the brothers out of the house. But eventually, through love, the boys brought their father and their whole household to Christ. A few years later, Skender became a pastor in his own hometown, and a group of military men kidnapped him and beat him for his faith. But as they were beating him, Skender told the men about Jesus. Later, the commander of the military men came to Christ, and today, that man attends Skender's church. When Enver and Skender became Christians, they suffered because of their Christian commitment, but they had peace the peace of God. Do you know, we read that story about them escaping to Egypt, and while the birth of the baby was a blessing to Mary and Joseph, he was also a threat to the powers that be. Why? Because he was dangerous. This baby is dangerous. He can change your life. He can turn it upside down. He can transform your situations. He changes lives and our lives and the lives of others because he challenges the status quo. This baby is dangerous because he forces us to make a decision about God, about him, and about what we are going to do with him. Many people say they believe in God, believe in a creator, but many people draw the line at Jesus, try and steal him away. People try to steal him, try and take his glory to distract others, to kick him down the street. But you know, Jesus is bigger and sturdier and very robust. And he never gives up. And the Bible tells me he never leaves us. Look at that story of those two boys. How did they survive those beatings? They survived it with the joy and the peace and the love of Christ. That isn't a story in its own right. There's hundreds of those stories written down from years ago and from recent times. Leo Tolstoy once wrote this. Everybody thinks of changing humanity. We agree with that, don't we? Everybody thinks of changing humanity, but nobody thinks of changing themselves. I'll read that again. Everybody thinks of changing humanity, but nobody thinks of changing themselves. You know, many don't realize that the glory of the newborn king is in the changes he brings to the lives of millions the changes he brings to the lives of people in this room. I'm not going to, but if I said, stand up if your life has been totally turned around by Jesus, I know there wouldn't be many people left sitting down. And there's even people in this room whose lives have been totally changed by Jesus who don't know it yet. But my prayer is that you will and that you'll stop kicking him out of the manger. You'll stop kicking him out of the middle of the the scene. And our lives as Christians are supposed to bring glory. What is glory? Beauty and magnificence and joy. We are supposed to bring beauty and magnificence to where we go. Not because of what we do, but because of the presence of him in our lives. The presence, the glory of Jesus. Herod feared the change, so Herod tried to stamp out the king. What should he have done? He should have welcomed him. He should have worshipped him. He should have put down his pride and his own glory and exalted the Prince of Peace. And then it would have been a different story for Herod and for many others. Finally, Mary and Joseph were effectively exiled to Egypt. But the good news is, it didn't matter their circumstances and it didn't matter where they were. They still had Jesus with them. 
Herod didn't kick Jesus out of their lives because he was with them. Do you know, no matter what this world does to us, Jesus says, I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. If I put him at the center of my life, he will stay there. No matter where Mary and Joseph were, they had the tangible presence of God with them, his glory. They could join with the angels and sing glory to the newborn king. The shepherds we talked about last week simply went to meet the baby and were filled with joy and uncontainable joy. Why? Because they met the baby, the tangible presence of God. They saw his glory. Even in the tragedy of Herod's actions, Jesus was present. So today, who's our king? Or have we got Herod living on the throne? Or maybe we ourselves are Herod. Today, how do our lives bring glory to who we meet, to bring beauty and magnificence? How are we doing that? What are we laying down? Where are we being obedient? What sacrifice and obedience steps are we ignoring this morning? Where are we going wrong? Where are we fighting against the prince of peace and joy? Because when I put it like that, it sounds stupid, doesn't it? Fighting against peace and joy. Who wants to do that? If I said who wants peace and joy and love, we'd all be like, yeah. Yet we fight it. Why? Because we fight Jesus. We try and kick him down the street. Hark. What does it mean? Listen. Give glory to the newborn king. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word and I thank you for your truth. And I pray this morning that you'll just take away any of my uh, mistakes and any of my issues. But Father, help us to know that you want us to have Jesus at the center of our lives. Father, that your glory is beautiful and magnificent and that your glory brings great joy. Father, help us to trust in your unfailing love and help us to know your peace this Christmas. Help us to know it's not about excess and more, 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 but it's about giving it up for the King, laying it at your feet and worshipping the newborn King. So Father, I pray for anyone in this room who doesn't know you or who has regularly thrown you in the bushes. And I pray, Lord, that they will today search and find and reinstate the newborn King in their life. In Jesus' name, amen.